Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. The word is out. I guess having the title of this episode being special announcement is a little bit undone by the fact that we announced it on Twitter before <laughs> before uh, posting the episode, but the word is out. Winged Wheel Podcast Night of the LCA Part 2. The Redo, The Redux, Electric Boogaloo, Bigger and Better. We need to think of an official title. Running it back. Running it back. It's happening April 9th, Saturday, April 9th, uh, against the Columbus Blue Jackets. The game's at 7, but the festivities start at 4 p.m. More on that in a second, but um, we've been itching to get this one out to, to everyone for a while, so this feels good. I've never been more annoying on Twitter in my life. <laughs> I yeah, I saw you replying to everyone. I'm like, where do you find the time? No, no, no. It's not the replying to everyone. Like, we're, I was just excited about that, but like teasing the news. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. putting out the teaser. I hate that. I hate, I hated myself for that. And so it was a very on brand day because I don't, I hate myself in general. But just putting the teaser out and then having to sit there and wait to announce it, I was just like, Argh. yeah, that was one of the angrier ret- retweets I've ever had. <laughs> You knew the news. I knew the news, but like, I'm like, I can't not retweet it. Yeah, that's fair. It's our thing, but like. Well, it's out. (laughs) Evan, the good news for you Mm. is our socially anxious king gets to sit in the lower bowl. Oh. You're like, we have different sections. We'll get into it. And you're going to be the. Well, you may as well just get into it because you said basically everything but a few things. No, there's plenty more. Uh, You can actually sit. Uh, on the Zamboni with Al, if you'd like that. I, I definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> um, before we get into all that, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things, not just Winged Wheel Podcast night at the LCA, but Red Wings hockey and NHL news and prospect news. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Um, so for those of you who are not at all interested in the concept of coming to a meetup, coming to the game, or hate listen slash watch the show. Um, I encourage you to skip forward to the uh, actual topics. You can always use the timestamps for that. Uh, but for now, um, we're going to talk about the event, how it supports the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Then we're going to recap the Red Wings game that happened uh, and then get into our prospect profile, which is a really interesting one, which is relevant, especially with the uh, Olympic game that happened today. And uh, we'll see what else we get into before overtime. So the Jamie Daniels Foundation is a, an organi- organization that we're really, really excited to support. And uh, we actually have Ken Daniels on this episode to tell you a little bit more about that and how we are supporting the Jamie Daniels Foundation with uh, this Winged Wheel podcast tonight at the LCA. I read out all the things. The, the major thing for this episode is that Ken came on to help announce the event. So... Uh, some things about the event, it's the Winged Wheel Podcast Night Part 2, same as we did the first time, but we listened, we learned, we kind of paid attention to how things went the first time, and it was, you know, a phenomenal time for, I, I hope, everyone, especially us. Um, we saw over 400 of you turn out, actually, and um, we've made some some changes. So the different things that are going to happen this time is after the pre-show, uh, pre-game live recording featuring Ken Daniels and some other special guests. Um, You, not everyone is going to, or everyone's not going to have to leave the beer garden anymore. Uh, We're going to be able to stay in there and have a post episode, like mingle hangout and everything. We're going to be ticketing on the way in. So scanning tickets. So you don't have to leave. 
We're very relevant. It'll be in April too. It'll be in April. Instead of November, which is a big plus. So <laughs> pray for good weather that day because then the entire beer garden will be open for us. So they'll have like cornhole and stuff set up outside. Um, we're going to have some snacks and food out for people and the bar will be open for you to purchase drinks. That is probably the greatest part of it all. Yeah. We uh, we found that one out quickly and we turned to each other and said, yeah, next time we're opening that bar. And that'll be uh, drinks of the non-alcoholic variety and the alcoholic variety, depending on your preference. So um, for kids and anyone who doesn't partake, there will be options for you too. There, uh, We're going to make sure the post-game event uh, venue to be announced is going to run longer. And we're going to make sure there's more food available at that one too, so that we aren't kind of... Um, or when we told them we were coming with 100 people, they weren't like, okay. And then we showed up with 100 people. They're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think everyone was just kind of surprised by like uh, by the amount of people who came out. So we're, we're going to make sure the venue is prepared for everyone to come out. And it's going to be a little bit more of a smooth ride. Also, uh, different ticket types. So we'll have the lower bowl uh, available. And there will also be the gondola. And those are the two main winged wheel podcast sections. And for those of you who don't prefer or would prefer to be um, in the upper bowl, we'll also have some upper bowl seating as well. It's a little bit more scattered uh, around, but we grabbed as many like seats grouped together as possible. So, so yeah, it, it, the gondola will be one of the main sections and there's going to be like space to walk around, take pictures, mingle, hang out even during the game. Uh, and then for those of you who like to be closer to the action, uh, the lower bowl tickets are there. So um, that's all stuff we're really, really excited about. We can't wait to do this again. I hope the weather is nice so we can open up the beer garden. But yeah, stay tuned. Um, get your tickets ASAP. I will tweet out this announcement later, but you guys know those core zips that we wore last time. Very popular. People want to know where to get them. We're going to put those up on the shop, but we're also going to be giving one out to a random ticket buyer who buys their ticket before the end of February. I might have to do that because I don't know where I put mine. You're such a meathead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you did. No, you didn't move between last time and now. You've already lived in that house. Yeah, I haven't seen it since I took it off at my house. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. That's a hot... You've narrowed it down. I've got lots of time. <laughs> I've literal months. No, you've less than two months there, champ. Literal months. Anyhow, uh, that is the primer on the event. We'll put a link in the description of this episode, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog. Follow us on Twitter. It's also over there. Get your tickets now. Uh, find a friend. Come in. If you have any questions, DM us, email us, uh, go to the website. Um, all the info is there. And we're really, really excited to see you guys there. And thank you to our partners in this, the Detroit Red Wings. Really, really thrilled to be uh, hosting an event for them. And it's awesome that a portion of every ticket sold, uh, those proceeds will benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. More to come on that and Wings Money on the Board and how that ties in. But that is Winged Wheel Podcast Night Part 2. All right. uh, Before we get into the interview with Ken, why don't we talk about the Red Wings game that happened? There... We got into, I think that was the first game really that was like, hey, the Red Wings are starting to play some seriously good teams. So, you know, coming back and playing Philly twice is something for sure. It was fun. It was fun. And I think it was important for the Red Wings to do that. My main takeaway from that game, and there was quite a bit that happened that we'll cover, but my take, my main takeaway was, man, Minnesota is a good team. They are fast. They are. Not even that they have fast skaters. They just play fast. They give you no time to breathe. What was it? That one give and go and give and go between Caprizov and Zuccarello. Like 
Come, that's not fair. It, it, <laughs> Kaprizov is so sick to watch. He is such a oh god. I'm sad that that team has to go through some cap hell in the future because they could. I'm not saying they won't be, but they could be so exciting without that burden. But <laughs> you made your bed, you know. It's uh, we already know the cap is just only imaginary in the NHL. Well, I mean, yes, kind of. You just need to have a player conveniently laughs in Kelly McCrimmon. <laughs> Kelly McCrimmon, um, a Tampa GM, Breezebois, Julian Breezebois. Did they do that while Eisman was there or no? Mm, no. Yeah. Ryan, they did that last year. Yeah. Last season. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if they had it prior or if last season was the first one. No. That no, was- but I, you know what? Chicago did that. Chicago did it in 2015 with Kane. With Kane. Did they also do that with Duncan Keith once? Didn't they do it with Marion Hosa? No, he no, just uh, he got actually- allergic to his equipment when they needed some cap relief. Yeah, but I think he actually was allergic to his equipment. Yeah, it's just weird that after a 20-year career, that's when prevent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We do... <laughs> We do enough avoiding of the topic of immunology in this show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're not going to get into that. Anyhow, it was a 7-4 final uh, in favor of Minnesota. But don't let that distract you from the fact that it was at one point a one-goal game at the end. Uh, and things opened up with a Dylan Larkin goal. He broke into the zone. Um, and it was – who was it that tripped and fell? Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben. That's right. Ken did – well, Ken Will, you'll hear Ken mention it. Jordy For- Ben, who I forgot was on Minnesota until this game. Yeah, same. So Jordy Ben fell over, and then Larkin basically had a one-on-one at the goalie, and that means this year that means goal. Larkin is – someone tweeted at us. They said, is it fair to call Larkin elite now? And look, it's more than fair now to say, yeah, Larkin has fully embraced that 1C role. He is a first-line center no matter which way you cut it in the NHL now. And, <laughs> you know, he keeps this up. If he does keep this up and this is sustainable through, like, this season and next season, that E-word is not crazy to use. No, it puts him in that upper tier. He's, what, like 12th in the league scoring right now or at least was as of yesterday? Yeah. He's he's on the first page of NHL stats. It's some kind of season the captain's having. Yeah, we got a top 12 overall score and a top 10 defensive score. What a time to be alive. Yeah. And still somehow lose by three goals. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Gustav Lindstrom goal, I'm always surprised when it's his first NHL goal because he's. I'm pretty sure he's actually had one or two taken away by Tippins. But uh, he did get this one. This one stayed. It counted. And that was Gustav Lindstrom's first goal, which was nice to see. He's having himself a, a pleasant, pleasantly, pleasantly surprising season. And it's mostly... With his defensive play, Brad will be the first to tell you he doesn't come with oodles of offense. And I'll be the first to tell you that it's nice to see anyone on the Red Wings defense play some defense. So it's good to see Lindstrom kind of get that in. That was uh, not very far into the game. The Detroit Red Wings were up 2-0. And my friend was rage texting me because he was making some bets. And he was like, what would you? What do you think about this line for Minnesota by two goals? And I was like, yeah, I'd take that. Minnesota's a really strong team. And, you know, Detroit's... Got a lot of offense, but their defense is lacking. So Minnesota can probably expose them. And so within minutes, Detroit's up 2 nothing. He's so pissed off at me. But I redeemed myself. And then um, it came. So Matt Boldy scored, who is a phenomenal rookie. And that yeah. was a great pick at the time. And he's turning out to have a 
like you talk about Anton Lundell as one of the surprising rookies of the year. Matt Boldy is is up there. Yeah, because his uh, post-draft season or two after that didn't go swimmingly. And people were wondering if he was even a stretch out. I think he was picked 12th. Yeah. Yeah, but patience is a virtue for a reason. Not not every rookie can be Moritz Sider. You know, we have to stop holding these rookies to that insane standard of Moritz Sider or Lucas Raymond. You got to give yeah. these kids some time. Feels like there has been like a lot of strong rookies this year, though. It not, really not, ha- not, you know, not a ton that are, you know, game breaking, but seems like there's a lot that are really coming into their own and really solidifying spots early in their career. I agree. I think there is. Is this true or false? There is a, a general change in attitude towards rookies in the NHL. And this year is a lot more prominent where they realize, A, the value of them versus like the contract that they have, which is minimal. And B, how much they can do on the ice, even though they're not perfect NHL players so like so early in their careers. 75% true. What's the false part about it? Uh, 25% of the coaches in the NHL. Oh, yeah. So, but hey, I, I think 25, I think that number used to be a lot higher than that. Oh, it used to be way higher than that. That would have been, you could flip those percentages. And it's not necessarily that coaches in the past have always been wrong. I think there is something to be said about if the league is faster and more skilled, you probably have more leeway for rookies to come in and, and do their thing, right? And the league has gotten younger yeah. exponentially over the past, I'd say even just five years. Exponentially younger? These are three-year-olds out there. Watch out. <laughs> Shit, making Mr. Window. Yeah, she did. She's an <laughs> overager now. Um, and the league used to be a lot of tougher, scarier, older guys who just beat the hell out of everybody all the time and you did not want to subject an 18 year old to that yeah so the times they're changing like look at rookie like lucas raymond moritz sider who we know of trevor zegris has taken the league by storm anton lundell has cleared 30 points michael bunting who's i think only 45 years old yeah he's 32 uh has 32 points tanner Janot, dawson mercer like these are all guys who are having fantastic years and are notable. Jonathan Dolan, Jamie Drysdale, like these are guys who are having really, really strong seasons. Um, Seth Jarvis cooled off. Well, I mean, only a half point per game per rookie. Oh, yeah, loser, bomb. Yeah, Matt Boldy, like There's a lot this year. It's, I, it is, it is really cool to see, and I'm, I'm curious to see how it changes the dynamic of NHL contracts in the future too, both in like how they're written by rule and what you can do with rookie contracts and how long players are, are team controlled. Um, but also you're going to see more and more teams take the strategy of just loading up on the young guys and using that to extend and, and highlight their windows. Anyhow. Yeah. Matt Boldy scored again. So that was two for him and then Kaprizov and then Boldy finished the hat trick. Everybody knew that hat trick was coming as soon as he got two. I think one time this year, someone was due for a hat trick. It didn't end up happening every other time. Someone looked it up and I did not take the chance to verify it. So this could be way off. But someone said like, oh, it's only been three first time NHL hat tricks against the Red Wings this year. I'm like, I'm sorry. Three first year. Yeah. In (laughs) one season, three first time NHL hat tricks. Half a season. (laughs) There's still time so far. And if that's wrong, I I apologize. But just the notion, like the fact that we can say that out loud. And I I actually don't think that's wrong. That sounds Boldy, Dylan Strom. Who else? That's two right there. Yeah, there's there's another one. You'll all tweet it at us, so thank you in advance. Bunting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two rookies. 
Red Wings fans, borderline obnoxious about their advocacy for the Calder Trophy. The Red Wings, every, allowing other rookies to score hat tricks. Every team starts calling up their rookies for games against the Red Wings. <laughs> May as well. You have a rookie goalie or a young goalie who needs a, a shutout, bring him in. Yeah. You need a guy, you have a guy who's from the German Sixth League who had to come over to play out on an emergency basis and you want him to score a goal, bring him in. I don't care if he's your assistant video coach. He'll probably score. The Red Wings play the Rangers next, don't they? Yeah. Sounds like that could be the wheel that gets uh, starts turning to get Lafreniere going. Yeah. Lafreniere hat trick is uh, get ready to call that, Ken. <laughs> and the funny thing is, all that follow, and then Erickson Ack, and then they, it was a 5-2 game in eight minutes into the third, and you're like, oh, here we go. And then Raymond scored on the power play. And that was just, I loved that goal so much because it's back to, it, it it kind of looked a lot like the goals we saw in October and, and mostly November. It was Cider at the point, over to Larkin on the right wall, to the right side of the net, facing the net, and then beautiful crossing pass to Lucas Raymond. Doesn't double clutch, makes no question about it, and fires it home for the one-timer on the power play. Just mwah, perfect goal. Crossing passes on the power play. Weird. It's, it's really weird how things seem to work out when they do that. It's... Not always possible. I understand it's not always possible. Even on nights where the Red Wings are really moving and, and getting that mobility and the power play, some teams' penalty kills are just together. And they know to shut that shit down against Larkin and Raymond and them. But when they are available, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that was Lucas's 13th goal of the season. Um, Cider, with his second assist that game, that was his second, passed Trevor Zegras in rookie scoring. Like overall points. So more games but played. But did he score on a Michigan? <laughs> Seven more games played. But yeah, 34 points in 50 games for Moritz Sider. Trevor Zegers says 33 points in 43. But man, Moritz Sider doing that as a defenseman. I don't know if you All guys. All the much more impressive. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know this, but we generally advocate for Moritz Sider as for the Calder Trophy on this podcast. It's a hot take. It's a very hot take. But the moment he did that, you would really think that. At some point, Zegers was going to pass Cider, and then it would just be like Raymond Zegers, maybe even Lundell for the next for the rest of the season in terms of points. And Cider still could have been a Calder favorite even without the points, but here he is with thirty four, and he's a plus player. <laughs> Dear God, <laughs> yeah, wasn't this another one of those games where he gave up seven goals and he was a plus one on the night or something? Like that? I'm sure it was. Which is just, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little insane. Let's the, see. The anti, what is it? The anti Brett Lebda game. <laughs> it's still my favorite stat in NHL history. Yeah, he was a plus one. Moritz Sider, plus one. After losing 7 4. Jeez. Yep. Um, and then Sam got, like, there was a, there was a, uh, Minor penalty at four minutes left in the third, which actually was initially a double minor. And I was like, perfect. Four minutes left in the game, four minute penalty. I was like, this is great for Detroit. Um, Unfortunately, they reduced it back to a minor, which is always annoying when that happens. There was a shift that was north of four minutes, I'm pretty sure, for Larkin, Raymond, Sider, and, and company. Like they were all out there for over four minutes. And Brad, all I can think of was you the entire time. Because is it a good thing for an NHL coach in a game where you're down by two goals to play the same guys for four plus minutes on one shift? I think there were a couple of whistles in between, but it depends how your team's constructed. But as the Red Wings are constructed, no, 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 don't get too far ahead. In general, you would look at that and you'd go, what? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're a, a good NHL team, that seems like a terrible idea. Those guys are going to be feeling that for days. Yeah. But if you were a team with a, like approximately five or six players who can do anything of consequence, especially in a situation like that, that is the only time you can get away with it. And I would have pegged Jeff Blashill as one of the last coaches in the league to do it. And I was proven wrong. Yeah, he's weird in that. Like, he's super progressive in some ways and, like, the exact opposite in others, which, hey, you know, he's not he's not tied to a philosophy, which I do appreciate. Because um, I know he gets ragged on a lot when the Red Wings are down, like, two, three goals and he'll pull the goalie with, like, six minutes left when they're down by, like, usually three or more. And everybody hates on him for it, and I love it. Like, it's what you sh- – cool, your team scored one goal in 55 minutes. You think you got faith they're scoring three and five? No? Yeah, you get the advantage. And – uh he knows who his horses are this year. He's yeah. he especially on the power play. He's when he pulls them off the ice on a normal power play is another discussion to be had. But in a circumstance where it's essentially do or die that game, yeah, you you ride the guys that got that are going to get you there. I have seen that improve. I think over the season though, like we saw way too much of like 30, 45 seconds, and then PP ones off the ice. Oh no, that's been a very season. real problem lately as well. I've been keeping close track. But I think it. Ha- well, maybe it's not. I, this is anecdotal. I have not been paying that yeah. close attention. But I have seen a couple of times where they've been out there longer. And, and that, at the end of the game, it was – I think it was important to see. If he didn't do that, I wouldn't have been pissed. Like, you, if he said, I can't play guys for more than a two-minute shift, that's nuts. I would have been like, you're absolutely correct, Jeff. But he played them for more than four. Yeah. I think close to five. I was like, all right. Uh, and then that is funny because that whole shift, they had great control, a few really good chances, and it just wasn't going in. And I was like, ah. It was worth a try. Then Sam Gagne came in and buried one. And all of a sudden, you have a one-goal game. Uh, and then you have Kirill Kaprizov, who scored and made it 6-4. And then you have Ryan Hartman, who came and scored when Nedeljkovic went back in the net. And it was 7-4. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's Minnesota. It's a very good team. <laughs> Wild game. Crazy third period. The That wasn't even intentional. You bastard. Yeah. I'm sorry. But um, I don't know. I wasn't too upset about it. It's It's what you expect for the Red Wings. A really strong team playing a team with, you know, fun offense that can fire away, four goals, and a terrible defense, seven against. Someone pointed out, and it was really smart, I thought, to uh, acknowledge, playing those guys for four minutes, if they were on a back-to-back, would have been especially stupid, but the Red Wings don't play again until Thursday night. So that's one, two, three nights off before they're in New York to play um, in MSG. 7 p.m. Eastern. Two? Two nights off. Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday night? Tuesday night? Wednesday night? They played Monday night. Right, but after the game. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) 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 All right. So that's Detroit. Any other thoughts on that game on Moritz Sider on Lucas Raymond? Raymond, we didn't even mention Raymond with his his points. He's... um, leading rookie scoring he always has been but 39 points in 50 games that's 13 goals 26 assists so cider leads actually all assists of all rookies what was he where is he i think he's like um 10th or 12th in all defensemen scoring he's tied for 10th when i last checked yeah tied for 10th with devon taves and quinn hughes huh interesting yeah neat (laughs) (laughs) very neat I also like the tie in there because Vancouver is whenever I think of cider at the draft, I always think of Vancouver because they were the ones that leaked to the cider news essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's how JD got it. Very interesting. Imagine right. having both. 
<laughs> Shut up, Batman. Imagine having Quinn Hughes, but he plays defense and kills people. And is bigger. And kills people. She, does he shoot left-handed? Which way does Quinn Hughes? Yeah, he left. shoots left. He's a left. Oh, that would have been nice. <laughs> Shut up, Evan. Why do you got to kill the vibe, man? Uh, okay, we're going to jump into um, our interview with Ken Daniels. Uh, just very quickly, he comes in to talk to us a little bit about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA and also uh, discusses his thoughts on some things to do with the Red Wings. So for trade deadline, Dylan Larkin, uh, and some other notes. And uh, we made sure to uh, let Ken get back to watching hockey, which is better than talking hockey with us meatheads. But a uh, really good talk with Ken and looking forward to more with him. But for now, enjoy this interview. All right, Ken, we promised we'd be back doing this again. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. And uh, for you, we didn't have Brad here this time. <laughs> well, you can only have one one person undersized per show now. Okay. <laughs> see. see, I don't... Uh, you might be around the same height as Brad, and I'm actually not too far off, but the trick is you just pretend he's way shorter, and that way he's always a heel for you. Yeah, you know what, though? In all honesty, I, I think I could eat peanuts off Brad's head. I think. Seriously. <laughs> we could I, try I don't it. even think that's a, you know, nah, that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll have an opportunity to try it, because part of the reason we have you on today is to talk about April 9th, where... In addition to seeing you eat peanuts off of Brad head, Brad's head, uh, people can come in, buy tickets for the Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA Part 2. I'm very excited. You just told me about that. So uh, this is awesome. The crowd that you guys had last time, and I, I think I can coerce Mickey into coming again. I, I think he had fun. So we're looking forward to that and seeing the people and the questions are great. And just, you know, it's been yeah, we do a game and we broadcast live for the most part, except, well, we've been in studio a lot this year. Um, but to be a part of a crowd and feel that energy, I, I miss that. So I love what you guys are doing and for the foundation and, and Red Wing fans are unbelievable. When I hear the numbers that you throw out there, what you've been able to do through, through the Wing Wheel podcast, um, you guys are, are great. Amazing. Well, we really appreciate that. And and for those of you who missed out the first time and you want to know a little bit of what you'll get, go uh, check out the video we put up on YouTube for it. It's um, it's really cool to see the entire crowd gasp as they see Mick walk behind the glass <laughs> and into the room and Mick just own the moment. Hey, yeah, it, it's <laughs> that down, got on the mic and went, you know, I coached, I, I coached, I, I hosted coaches corner uh, with Don Cherry. Uh, back in the uh, the 90s and uh, I always feel you know it, it was with the Ron and Don show I always feel when I'm with Mickey it's like I, I'm Ron to his to his Don you know because he's he just uh, has the whole audience with him although uh, he, he's lasting longer <laughs> yeah. than grapes now <laughs> in, a, in a better fashion <laughs> <laughs> well um, we hope you all uh if you didn't even want to come see us, which again, who wants to see a short guy like Brad? Uh, if you don't want to come see us, it's it's a great incentive to come out and see Ken and Mick and the entire pre-show episode and, and the get together is a it's a big blast. So uh, Ken, we're really really happy to be able to do this, and it's not just about you know going to a game and watching some hockey like you mentioned. This is in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, so a portion of proceeds from every ticket uh, goes to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And there's a fundraiser attached to the event through Wings Money on the Board. There's going to be giveaways. There's going to be prizes. Uh, and we learned from how the first event ran. So we're going to be making the next one even better. So uh, if you guys want to come out and see Ken and Mick, it's a great way to do it. 
So, uh, Ken, before we jump into it, you're wearing a hat here that says 999 plus, and then it's the Detroit Tigers logo. What's that? Or the Old English D. Old English D. So, it's um, for those listening and not viewing, it uh, it says 999 and the Old English D. That was when the game that two Red Wing draft picks um, both refereed, uh, Dean Morton and Wes McCauley. And actually, Wes McCauley is the... Uh, only skater still in the National Hockey League from the 1990 draft, drafted by the Red Wings. And Dean Morton was drafted, I think, three years earlier, but Dean was taken two picks earlier. I think it was 148 to 150 when the Red Wings selected Dean Dean Morton and then later Wes McCauley. So they both signed the hat underneath to me. I was down in the ref's room before the game. So as the story goes, Dean Morton refereed game 999 of his officiating career, Plus, the one game he played for the Red Wings in the NHL when he scored a goal in Calgary. So that's the 999 plus one, the English D, is actually the thousand games he's worked. He's going to work his thousandth game in Buffalo. Or no, he's working his thousandth game this month, I believe, and will work his, I think in Buffalo maybe, and then his final game when the Red Wings are in Calgary in March. Um, and it's uh, too bad we'll that's be cool. that one off a monitor. We won't be in Calgary, but that's his final game because referees actually get to choose whom they want to work with in, in milestone games. So Dean chose Wes and the, uh, two linesmen that night. And I would think that Wes would work his final game in Calgary where he scored the one goal for the Red Wings. Uh, so that'll be cool in March. So that's what the hat is. It's a Dean Morton and Wes McCauley hat signed by both. So we have some time here, Ken, and, and why don't we talk about the rest of the, uh, the Red Wings season? So we just came back from the All-Star break, and I think Evan actually has a question for you. Yeah, so we just got back from the All-Star break. Everybody saw Trevor Zegras pull the movie did in the skills competition, um, which sort of leads into talking once again about the Calder race. You know, the Red Wings have both Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond in it. Um what, what's your take on that? Do, does Mort Sider get the attention he deserves? Do you think he's a front runner? Um, Lucas Raymond, is he still there as well? Or has Trevor Zegers sort of pulled ahead in the, the court of public opinion? Probably in the court of public opinion, I would say ahead of Lucas Raymond, um, only because of the flash. And yet, I, you know, talking with Max Boltman, as you guys do, uh, he insists that the Professional Hockey Writers Association does take all this into account and the analytics. And I think if you're taking the analytics into account beyond just the eye test, I don't think it's close, uh, for Cider not to win it. I think, I think Moritz Cider is going to get some Norris Trophy votes myself. Um, so we are delving into some numbers. I want to see some comparisons with Adam Fox and, and some others. Uh, who've won that award. So I, I, I think Cider for me, hands down what he does, the moves that, that he makes and can break up plays. And there's, there's just the swagger about him that yet is so understated. And he does all those little moves with, with uh, such confidence, the way he can protect the puck. I think it's incredible. So for me, the Calder race is Cider hands down. And I think Zegris and Raymond will probably end up splitting that vote with, um, if I'm thinking how many vote and what they've seen was Zegers getting the edge there. Do you um, talk to many media members outside of the Red Wings sphere who who sort of echo that sentiment? Like what's what's everybody else saying right now? The guys I speak with would be more of the play-by-play guys when we're going to play that team. And they'll say, for you, 
who's the top rookie? Is it Cider or Raymond? And I say Cider. They go, okay, sort of that's what they thought. And we go off and, and talk about what he does. And they'll, they'll tell me, boy, the games that they've seen. Wow. And, you know, and even intermission when we're calling games and you, when we're not in studio and you're actually in a building to talk to somebody like we were, um, well, it was for a bit for the flyer guys, just, uh, you know, getting a chance to, to uh, speak with them. Uh, they're, they're often amazed at what, what cider can do. Uh, for the age that he is. So I, I think there's a lot that are impressed. Am I talking to lots of writers? No, uh, some, but yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty well known what Sider's doing on the back end and the tough matchups that he gets. And even when we pointed out one night, you know, Zegras, the lack of trust that uh, Dallas Aikens and the Ducks would have, and, and rightfully so because he's young and a forward to where he's getting defensive zone starts, um, to what Sider gets in defensive zone starts. Uh, as opposed to even offensive zone starts for Moritz Sider, and yet getting more of them, I think lately, just with the trust and when he's out there, it's funny. It, it's now it's getting to the point, and believe me, I'm not comparing him to Nick Ledstrom. I'm not. But when the score was either way within a goal late in the game, who would you want out there in that game to protect it or try to even it was Nick Ledstrom. And I don't think I've felt that way about a defenseman with the Red Wings, and maybe that says where Detroit's been since Nick retired. I can't really think of one that I really wanted out there in the final minute of a game to even help lead the attack to even it or to prevent it than more at Cider. Yeah, there was a joke that came about when Cider was drafted. You know, it was hashtag German Lidstrom. It was funny and, you know, <laughs> you always want to temper the expectations. And again, you, you don't compare a rookie to one of the greatest defensemen of all time. No. But that joke is becoming, it evokes more and more real emotions. Every game you watch cider, like he just consistently is raising the ceiling. Yeah. And, and he, you know, we'll see how he does as the games, although this month is pretty good for Detroit, but we'll see how he does over a full season. And he may yet, you know, have that lag that, that, that Raymond went through. But I would think, in about four years from now, as the Red Wings progress and you get more minutes from others who can prevent Cider from having to play those that maybe you can free him up somewhere else because you have others to take the spot that he's now taking, I would think that he's going to garner more and more Norris votes if he continues on this progression that he has right now as the team improves and whether it be Simon Edvinson three years from now and takes that step or others that are around um, Moritz at the time, whether it be Johansson or whomever we're speaking of at the time. Right. So um, I think Cider uh, is really just the way he's going now. I, I can't see him not taking that, that path and continuing upwards. Talking about other guys who are having a fantastic season, you know, there's a lot to be said about Bertuzzi, of course, but Dylan Larkin's kind of not even just resurgence. He's He's gone beyond anything he's done in his career so far. And, you know, he's on the first page of the NHL point leaders. He's he's stepped up into not just, you know, a first-line center role, but he's done it phenomenally as captain of Detroit. What's it been like to watch this bounce-back season for him, and are you surprised at all? A little bit only because of what he went through in the offseason. And uh, I found it interesting even watching the game against Minnesota. And when he scored uh, the first goal again, which I believe is either his 10th or 11th to lead all NHL players in first goals of games. And then I see Jordy Ben take a tumble. And I think that's hockey gods 
uh, for what his brother did to Dylan. So that that's the first thought that came to my mind. And yet I'm thinking, you know, his first year as captain was so tough for Dylan and then having to go through after the cross check from Jamie Ben and to rehab all summer. I think Dylan just concentrated on Dylan and what he needed to do. And don't worry about the captaincy because he was worried about his career and where it would be and in a neck brace and everything else. So he didn't have time to worry about anybody else. He concentrated on himself and concentrated on getting in shape uh, best he can going through that and concentrated on working on his shot, which I think is just can some nights be overpowering now the way he's leaned into that. So he's taken that an extra step. So I think the way that skating came back, the way he rehabbed, I think all that to be where he is now and having the best start to his career through what is now for him just over half a season of what would be a regular season. I think it's kudos to him and how hard he worked. So surprising these numbers, yes, because of what he went through. But I also think some of that credit has to go to a second line. And, uh, you know, for the most part, a healthy Bertuzzi outside of the COVID stuff. So a healthy Bertuzzi, whether he's on his line or he isn't. And Pew Suter picking up a second line role to shelter him a little bit. That in some games, when you can now mix and match and move some lines around, that 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 helps too for Dylan. So we're approaching, we're at like a, just over a month countdown to the, the trade deadline. And it's it's interesting here uh, because the Red Wings are at a point where, you know, they're not at the bottom of the rebuild anymore and you need good players to play. And you can see you just explained how those players are, are contributing to overall success of the team. But they're going to get calls on guys like Nemesnikov. Of course, Nick Letty is, is the probably most likely name to move. And even beyond that, what kind of things are you expecting or, or do you think are on the table for the Red Wings at the trade deadline? I think anything's on the table, quite frankly. Um, and I think there are a lot of defensemen out there, including left-handed defensemen. So I don't know what the price for Nick Letty is going to be. So I wouldn't set the sights too high. And yet I never count out Steve Eisenman um, from, from making something out of nothing. But you know, you can say you can keep Nemesnikov and yeah, you can and he wants to be here. It's not like he couldn't come back uh, to being a Red Wing again. And he just loves being a Red Wing. But by the same token, yeah, you'd maybe be only be moving him for a fourth or whatever it is. And who knows what the price is going to be. There will be so many teams selling and a lot of teams buying. I, I'm going to, I wonder what this deadline's going to look like. And with many teams up against the cap and the cap's not going up anywhere and some teams that are going to, you know, have to eat some money, um, you know, and the Red Wings are already eating one contract. So they've got two left. You can only do three. So it depends what they go with with Letty and what leaves them to do one other one. But whatever you are moving and people can say, well, you're moving him and you're only getting a fourth. Yeah, you're only getting a fourth. But if you have two or three fourths and you make another move now, you move a third and you move two of those fourths and all of a sudden you're moving it for something else you want. So you're just picking up collateral. That That's what you're doing. You're, you're just more kicks to the can for your own team or more kicks to the can in the trade market, whether, uh, you know, it be at the, uh, the, the deadline uh, or whether it be at this year's draft or, or next year. What you're going for if the, the picks aren't for, for 22, but they're for 23. So I, where they are, I mean, you're still chasing Boston, but let's be realistic unless, you know, something really crazy happens to the Bruins. Um, but the Red Wings are going to be competitive. And if they're still competitive in March, that's good. But I don't think if you look at the numbers and the Red Wings 
can't catch him, I don't think that's going to alter what Steve Eisenman's long-term plan is. Well, uh, you know when we'll know more is April 9th, so why don't we save the rest of this uh, good old talking time for for the podcast we're going to be recording live from the LCA then. Um, You guys heard Ken. April 9th, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA Part 2. Get your tickets. Uh, Join us with Ken and uh, Mick and some other other fun people coming through for a great time. Ken, I appreciate you joining us and enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you. And I'll just say on, on May the 1st, we are having a comedy night, two shows at Mark Ridley's in Royal Oak. Uh, that's Michigan for you, for you guys. Uh, in Royal Oak, we are, we are having Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle and, uh, you'll hear about it on Valley Sports, but uh, probably tickets available in March. And there won't be that many because about 300 per show, but it'll be a fun night and a nice way to fundraise. So uh, March 1st, uh, May 1st at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, but you'll hear more about it. We'll tell you more about it April 9th. So thank you. And thank you for this as always. Cheers. Thanks, Ken. And that was our interview with Ken Daniels. Appreciate Ken coming onto the show. Um, aside from just talking Red Wings hockey and his thoughts, you know, on the trade deadline and everything, it's good to see. Um, or I'm happy to hear that he's just as excited as we are to record the live show from the event, uh, bringing in Mickey. I think um, it'll be (laughs) – I'm repeating stuff that we just said five minutes ago because just about 45 seconds ago, I realized we had a malfunction (laughs) with the camera. So if you watch on YouTube the first, oh, I don't know, 30-odd minutes of this podcast, everything before the Ken interview had no video. So uh, that one is a big old Ryan's fault today. I think, as best as I can tell. On the plus side is everybody who's watching the YouTube video from this point out is sure going to get a laugh of you nervously looking directly into the camera every 30 seconds for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just looking at it, not like wide-eyed. <laughs> but no, it's it's really great to see, um, or it's going to be really great to see everyone's reaction to, to Ken and hopefully Mick there again. I think Mick's entrance last time cannot be topped. That was like the most organic shock and awe moment of the podcast. So we need to manufacture something insane is what you're saying. Yes. So maybe we need to work with our friends at the Red Wings to get the Michael Jackson coming out of the floor stage thing. Steve Eiserman actually piggybacks him into the room. And then just leaves. Yeah. No words. Yeah. It doesn't say anything. It'll be the best interview we've ever done. <laughs> I feel bad because you made a really funny joke about Mick coming in from the ceiling like 50 Cent at the Super Bowl. And now we can't really reproduce that. But yeah, we no, said it and it was funny and... It was a one-time thing. I've killed the vibe today. I get to be funny like once every three days and it went wasted. Now, was, was Snoop Dogg the funniest person to watch oh. in the halftime show? Yeah, he was hilarious. His bright blue suit. He was having the best time. Yeah. I love... Um, <laughs> The shock, the shock about people, the shock people had about um, you know him smoking before going on, and I was like, "Do you think he wasn't high?" Yeah, <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Yeah, who was shocked by that at all? I assumed his mic was fake, and he was smoking out of that too. Like it's <laughs> probably. Um, before we get into some other stuff, very quickly an announcement. Uh, Prashant Iyer, good friend of the podcast, and obviously you'll know from the world of Red Wings media, personalities, et cetera, et cetera, uh, is going to be working with the Winged Wheel podcast in a, besides, you know, coming out of the show regularly, uh, in an expanded role. So he's going to be doing some writing for us. So he's going to be, um, you know, the the different charts and the different 
visuals the different visuals I'm, i have absolutely no words today and this is a terrible way to articulate it prashanth the quantifier of vibes yeah truly <laughs> we feel that dylan larkin is having an exceptional season prashanth here are the charts and numbers telling you exactly why it's not just vibes <laughs> uh but no prashanth we all know has put together some great pieces in terms of not just the narrative but the the data and the information and the charts behind it so uh we're really excited to see what he puts together and that'll be posted on wingwheelpodcast.com and obviously we'll have him on to chat about it after so uh we're looking forward to that more prashanth more good podcast content. Before we get into prospect profiles, we are first going to talk to you about how this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement. They're easy to use from registration to deposit and finding uh, your best bet, and withdrawals are quick and easy. FanDuel pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours. They always have fantastic odds boosts and specials every day with some big super boosts each weekend. All of those uh, and more reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get that grand back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-979, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Remember the uh, Mort Cider odds the last we talked about them, plus 550? Already dropped. I'd like to think we're responsible for that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I did my same friend who was mad uh, that uh, initially the Minnesota bet wasn't looking good. I told him, I said, get in at Cider. If you care, get in for Cider at 550. And he didn't listen to me. He's like, it's at plus 300 now. I'm like, yeah, you left money on the table, man. All right. Prospect profile. It's been a couple episodes since we've done one. Some stuff's been going on, but let's get back to it. Brad, uh, this one is topical. Who are we talking about today? Juraj Slavkovsky, the Slovakian superstar. Giant Slovakian superstar. Big boy. The size of Evan's attitude right now. I mean, I've frustrated you. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> frustrated me? Yeah. Why? I wasted your time. My time? How many times have I messed up on this oh, podcast? Oh, I don't care. I'm as, I'm eyes don't, open, asleep inside. Don't be gracious <laughs> the, about it. The I'm wheel is good. turning, but the hamster's dead. Yeah, the hamster is dead. the 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 light's not on, but the vending machine still works. Like big, like that <laughs> that energy. Have you seen that meme? Yeah. No. For the best. Anyways, prospect profile. Your eyes, Lefkowski. At one point, the possibly still leading scorer in the Olympics as a 17 year old, mm-hmm. playing top line a top line role for the Slovakians. Um. I don't want to call him a boomer bust prospect, even though I've seen him referred to as such, because I think his floor is higher than he's getting credit for. Um, he's a big forward, whether he's going to be a center or a winger is still to be determined. But um, really, really skilled, um, really creative, really confident with the puck. He's not slow, uh, but skating 
not a hallmark of his game. Smooth might be the word, um, dis- despite not being a burner. Um, and just produces. He's been playing top level in uh, the Finnish Liga this year, doing well there. Um, he's been played with the Slovakian men's national team at top level tournaments, I think more than a few times now. He's been doing it for a couple of years, even as a 16-year-old. Um, and yeah, like I said, he's having a huge Olympics right now. If you want to know how highly the Slovakian team thinks of him and the coaching staff there, um, Slovakia beat the U.S. in a shootout today to advance to the semifinals of the Olympics, despite not having one of the stronger teams there. They needed to tie the game in the final minute um, just to get to the shootout, and Slavkovsky was on the ice for that final minute in a quarterfinal game in the Olympics. I understand no NHLers there, all that. If NHL Good, was, it'll be great in the East Coast League. Yeah. <laughs> Even if NHLers were there, he would have still been on this team. Um, but yeah, he's... Uh, it's funny. Scott Wheeler had a really interesting comparison for him. If if you want to understand like what it means when he's really big, really skilled, and really smooth, and it's almost unsettling to see uh, that combination. He said he's resembles Simon Edvinson, although at forward, in the sense of somebody that big shouldn't be able to do the things he can do. So he's been floating anywhere from 5 to 15 in a lot of rankings. Um, I think these Olympics have probably solidified him in a top 10, and he's a very, very strong candidate for the top 5 at this point. If he was Canadian, he'd go in the top 3. <laughs> Honestly. Well, he's an interesting prospect because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and this is kind of like personal philosophy when evaluating prospects, is are we overvaluing skating? There's nothing wrong to say the absolute least with a burner a guy who can skate who pivots real well his edge work is good his top speed is good his acceleration his agility whatever that's all great and that makes for a great player but guys who don't have all that are they automatically pigeonholed just because they're not top tier skaters i wouldn't say they're pigeonholed but it does have to factor in because you know i think anytime someone's not a top end skater they're automatically labeled bad skater when there is an in-between like for example dylan larkin great skater Giovanni smith bad skater well there's a lot of people who fall in between those two designations well stay on the top end of the lineup though tyler bertuzzi is not a strong skater yeah exactly yeah tyler bertuzzi is a, a below average nhl skater and he makes it work now he's got a few exceptional skills that make up for it that um you know slavkovsky might also have he's got a lot of skill to his game he's not afraid of a physical game but he doesn't like it's, it's not, not his it's, it's not his thing actually now that i'm thinking about this he's he's not too dissimilar from like just being a much better elmer soderbloom that's exactly what i was gonna say Honestly. he's a souped up elmer soderbloom yeah um it's you know because if you're gonna be not an elite skater because i'm not gonna call slavkovsky a bad skater he's not he's an probably projected to be like an nhl average skater um you better have you can't be a top end player with average skating unless you have some very above average tools to complement it like we've talked about Pertuzzi's uh hockey iq and his ability to handle bad pucks and stuff like that slavkovsky he's got some exceptional tools to his game he is incredibly skilled he can attack with deception he reads the play very very well super confident with the puck almost too confident because he 
Whatever level he plays at, he doesn't give a shit. He's going to try stuff. Yeah. And it works more often than it does. And it does run him into trouble from time to time. But I'd rather see a kid at his age do too much and then have to be reined in than try to teach someone how to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Slavkovsky. And I think he'll be a top six forward at worst in the NHL. Yeah. What I like about his game is that even, you know, something that people might ping as a weakness, I think he's still a smooth skater. You know, we're watching what Moritz Sider is doing right now. We're watching what Simon Edvinson is doing. And, you know, to a different degree, we're watching what Elmer Soderblom is doing. Um, you can really see how guys can be effective without being the absolute best skater on the ice. Not only that, let's say he does end up being just a league average NHL skater. League average NHL skater at, you know, 6'4". How tall is he? 6'4"? Six, six, I think he's listed at 6'4", 225. If you be a league average NHL skater and you're the size of a big fridge. <laughs> really and, big fridge. And you can you can dangle and you have really soft hands. Like that is – that well, you know, overcomes any deficiencies in your skating. Which I don't even think deficiencies is a fair word. He's a fascinating player. I think the compete is also like – you're just adding up a lot of things where, I mean, if this guy's a defenseman, Eisenman would have found a way to already have him on the team. But he kind of fits the mold, right? He'll be a, a guy of Red Wings' interest, except he'll probably maybe be off the board. You were mentioning, Brad, before the show, these, these Olympics are going to push him too high on the board for the draft, most likely compared to where the Red Wings are going to be picking. But, hey, he's uh, he absolutely is a possibility for the Red Wings. The only thing is a lot of thinking is projecting him as a winger at the NHL level, which you never know. Oh, no, he's Anthony Mantha. So, but he's he's one to watch for sure. Say the line. Well, what else is there to say? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's um, our first of the season. Well, we've only done three. Three. Yeah. Yeah, uh, notice how the last two episodes followed Red Wings wins and we didn't do <laughs> Yes. The more the Red Wings win, the less we prospect profile. Yeah, I I think I would agree with all, what you guys said. A lot of his speed is derived from the length of his stride, which is obviously no surprise. Mm-hmm. His he his legs are half of his body, so and it counts just the same. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't turn the corner and burn guys away. Um, so I mean, it's yeah, he he's so big that he doesn't need to be a burner to have success at the NHL and. A lot of his production comes from below the goal line along the boards, either finishing it down low himself or passing it off to a teammate for a grade A opportunity. And there's a lot of players in the NHL who cannot do that. And each every line sort of needs a guy like that. It, it, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi is the most recent person I can think of on the Red Wings who who is good at that. Um, yeah. He's tenacious on the forecheck. Like, that's a, a big thing that these Red Wings are trying to instill in, in this team. Um, he could be a good fit. I, he's, I don't see him as a line driver, per se. He would need some complementary pieces along that line. But if you can round out a line with him on it, you have a seriously dynamic and dangerous line. you imagine the Red Wings with who they have on defense? And then Soderblom makes the team. And then in a couple of years, you have Slavkovsky. <laughs> They're going to have to heighten the doorways. The LCA. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, I, he's such a you – were, you were just saying this, Evan, in, in better words. But he's such a unique threat. And there's so many different facets to his game. There's, I, I, there's a, guys who are six foot one, 
185 pounds who can skate and do everything at an NHL level or a dime a dozen. Yeah. Guys who are huge and have good hands and are are good down low are impossible to defend against. Yeah. And it just it's a game planning nightmare. Okay, Moritz Sider. When Moritz Sider steps like steps up on the boards and decides to protect the puck, how often do we see him lose those board battles? Almost never. He has his way with the other team. And so much of the NHL is decided in a three by three space. Yeah. Beating someone else. This is why you know what, what the boomer window is. You speak their language. But I do. I'm trying to translate it to the modern game. Yeah, but you're you're absolutely right. And that's what coaches preach too. Like that's when they you talk about the little stuff in that game, like that small office that you're in, winning the puck and coming out of there with the puck. Like how many teams have stupid slogans on above a doorway or something that says something along the lines of compete or yeah, something dumb? All like of them. Every Every single one. Though I was at the Ranger game on Friday night and it says, do your job. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he, the, what he is really good at is those those things. Like he is very tenacious offensively and coaches will love that. Yeah. Always drink your Ovaltine or whatever it is. That's probably the best one. Is that real? It's from Christmas Story. It's from when he decodes that thing and it says, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. It was an ad. I'm just being an idiot, man. Oh, God. Ruining it. You and I have different levels of love for Christmas. Yeah, we we absolutely do. You're like a Scrooge. I probably took my tree down the latest, though. When when did your tree come down? Far too late. Yours was down before ours. Wow, mine came down late. Yeah. Anyways, Uriah Slavkovsky, probably you're thinking, Brad, closer to top five than not. So, I mean, if the Red Wings are in a position to to draft Slavkovsky, we either have seen a horrendous March and April from the Red Wings or um, the lottery gods are cruel and from position 15 gave Detroit the winning lottery ball and they moved up to position five. I actually, no, Does, does uh, the 16th ranked team miss the playoffs still with the 32 teams or is that the final playoff spot? No, 16th ranked team misses. So you know what's coming, right? You think it's going to be like absolute worst case, like from 16th to six? Oh, yep. It's going to be six. Yeah. As soon as you said it out loud, it's you gonna knew be it. Six. Yeah. It's going to be six overall. And guess where Slavkovsky is going to go? Fifth. Yeah. But <laughs> hey, he's not the only good prospect. We have more to come. So that's your eye, Slavkovsky. We will have more prospect profiles in the future. Uh, thank you all for tuning into that. Um, some NHL news before we jump into overtime here. Um, Jack Eichel. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Mark Stone going on LTIR, and Jack Eichel is back. Tonight. I always forget that one of the best players on the planet has not played hockey in a million years. Like, you get lost in the Jack Eichel hype, and there's been so much. If you ask any hockey fan who follows the game remotely closely anything about Jack Eichel, and you say, tell me the first thing you think of, they will talk about the Buffalo you know, conflict, his surgery, his his recovery, anything like that. They won't talk about the player. But you forget he's one of the best guys in the league. Do we need to do a prospect profile on Jack? I don't know. Can we draft him? If you can't draft him, then I don't want him. <laughs> um. So, I mean, what is it? 10 mil over the cap Vegas is going to be? Once Stone returns, probably right in time for the playoffs. I think Brad's going to cry about it all year. Oh, no, I'm I'm way over this. 
I well, I, I didn't fault Tampa for it when they did it. I faulted the NHL for not closing the loophole, and they didn't close the loophole. So, hey, I hope as many teams as possible exploit it at this point. Do you think they'll? Do you think this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back? No, no. What if Vegas wins? No. On the backs of Mark Stone and Jack Eichel. Is that a pun? No. Again, it was not. <laughs> uh, you've seen the way I'm operating today. I'm not. I cannot think of a layer no joke puns. right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Olympics. Tell us what's happened, Brad. No, you got to do it. Um. So most of the listeners of this podcast are uh, North American from Canada and the U.S. And um, we're all sad. Pain. Yep. <laughs> the remember remember how I said Slavkovsky was out there in the last minute to tie it against the states. Well, they did, <laughs> and uh, the shootout went their way. So the U.S. is done, and then that was an exciting game at least. And then Canada and Sweden played in the quarterfinals to what might have been the most boring hockey game in the existence of hockey, to which Sweden won two nothing with an empty netter. I'm not sure anything happened, but it was a hockey game. And now, yeah, now we're in the middle round, and uh, our Scandinavian friends are happy. I have no, absolutely no shame in saying I'm not interested in the men's Olympic hockey because it's not best on best. I'm not saying, like, don't go out. Like, I, I'm very happy for the guys who got the opportunity to go. I think it's a cool thing. It's very unique. Twice in a row it's happened now. But I don't have the passion for the tournament. And, and not to discredit Sweden's or Slovakia's or anyone's accomplishments. I think it's great. But personally, as a viewer, I'm just not – it just does, doesn't do – I can't get – I can't get passionate about it. I can get behind it. I think it's fun. It's the Olympics. But I just – it's not there for me. It doesn't light the fire. I haven't watched a single event. Yeah, I've actually watched like parts of three games and that's – I it. saw the ski jump had a nuclear facility behind it. So, yeah. that kind of summed up. That looked like a Tony Hawk level where you could mod in something and someone just decided to drop a ski hill in the middle of it. There's a whole thing about like they didn't get the slope like for the, because they had to create and ship in the snow and it was too icy and it was too icy for the slope. And so, so many people are either like busting their runs or actually like, breaking bones or tearing ACLs. It's just a shit show. But honestly, where it's at for me is the women this year. Again, Canada, yeah. US gold medal. The real tonight. gold medal game is tonight. Yeah. A dozen years between Olympic games. A dozen, man. Like that's going to. Mika's not been alive. Nope. She's not been alive for Olympic hockey. I mean, it does. it's cool that she gets to watch the women. But, man, I just think back to 2010, like 2002, some really intense Olympic games. Those are some of the biggest moments in modern hockey history. Anyways, um, congrats to the, to the teams who ousted uh, the states in Canada. But, yeah, if people weren't interested before, they're definitely oh. not. I think viewership for the Olympics is down oh, across the board for everything. Be. Yeah. You know, partially fault to the Olympics, partially fault of the broadcasting and how they do that. Not a good year. No. I mean, I should say, I know we have a lot of uh, listeners over in Sweden stuff. Like, again, it's genuinely no knock on the accomplishment. It's really cool. And any Olympic gold counts as Olympic gold. Um it's worth saying. Yeah, the, man, the timing. I do like having it on in the background just like because they, they replay based on whatever time you're. I've not done that, but yeah. Yep. Anyhow, uh, any other news before we jump into overtime here? 
Super Bowl, what'd you think? Nice to see Staff get his. Yeah, I, I had like no horse in that race. I was just happy for Stafford, and that was that was it. I can appreciate both teams. I like Joe Burrow. I like Matt. Obviously, love Matt Stafford. Um, it was funny how nonchalant he he wasn't nonchalant, but he's just such a reserved guy that I I was like, you're too composed for this interview. And then you saw him at the parade today. You're like, oh okay, you're there, there it is, full Tom Brady right now. Yeah, I think Tom Brady even told him on Twitter to mix in a water, hydrate. Yeah. <laughs> One water for every drink is a good rule in general. Okay. Uh, why don't we take this opportunity to uh, jump into overtime? Uh, overtime on this midweek episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you exclusively by our Patreon supporters. Uh, Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Our patrons are the reasons we're able to do things like Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA um, and all the other stuff. So thank you all so much. Appreciate you supporting the show and especially all you new patrons. Um, we see you. Uh, G Smith fan. Has a long, uh, <laughs> has a long, de- oh my God, we didn't even talk about it in the game. The Smith brothers made their debut. That was really cool. That was awesome. It was just like, it was the same as the Sveshnikov brothers. Like you love it. You wanted it for so long. Does it make a material difference on the ice? Absolutely not. But it was cool to see Giovanni and Jamel Smith out there on the same line. Um, really cool that it also happened during Black History Month. Trevor Thompson calling the game as well, which is awesome. Like it, it was just a really, really cool moment for the Red Wings and just for those brothers too. Like you, to to have more than one kid in the family make the NHL is something. To play on the same team and the same line, though, that's that's got to be, yeah, that's incredible. Good for them. Um, G Smith fan has a. <laughs> A whole long, funny diatribe that I'll read on the Patreon exclusive overtime. Their question is, can you name 10 defensemen who are unquestionably better than Moritz Sider? Unquestionably? Yeah. I could think of three, four immediately. Okay, well, Kale McCarr. Yeah. Victor Hedman. Adam Fox. Roman Yossi. Yeah, Yossi. That's a good one. Um not to, to knock Snyder, I can definitely think of more. I just gotta think of them I'm off going top through my... the teams right now. Yeah, same. Shea Theodore. McAvoy. McAvoy, Shea Theodore, I'd say. Yeah. Krug? No. No chance. Are you kidding? Uh yeah, I'm literally trying to run through all the teams. Mackenzie Weger? Unquestionably. I don't think it's unquestionable with it, that I was thinking about him too. Yeah. Slavin? Slavin's there. You're you're having a hard time getting Devontae's. Yeah, I'm. I'm. We're discrediting a lot of guys here, but the number Haskinen, Haskinen, it's close. The numbers certainly. The numbers not far from ten in either direction. Yeah, Ekblad, Ekblad. Since he's had his like a little resurgence, yeah. A lot of context there. There's only like two or three guys who are in the same like age range as him. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That is a really good point. Where do you where do you peg Quinn Hughes compared to Moritz Sider? I think he's worse. I really do. Quinn Hughes is an a pure offensive defenseman, and most Sider's tied with him in scoring. I mean, Quinn did have a slower start to the year, almost uncharacteristic. You know who didn't? Moe Sider. That's true. Yep, that he's is a rookie. True. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, it's early, but that's a really interesting question because I thought I would get to 10 way easier. Latang. Still? Yeah. Man, didn't Latang start declining 30 years ago? The game he played against Detroit, I was like, okay, he's still amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's really damn good. Yeah. 
Uh, we didn't cover the Toffoli trade, so we'll maybe talk about that a little bit next episode. But Babe Landis-Cog says, I've been reading a lot of um, speculation since Toffoli was traded. One name that came up, but not necessarily for the Wings, was Dominic Kubelik of the Hawks. I wouldn't hate him joining the Wings, but maybe as a free agent in the offseason. Hey, uh, the last reclamation project we got from the Hawks is working out all right. Yeah. It wasn't even a reclamation project. I'm surprised they even let him walk. Yeah, that was crazy for what we signed him for. I don't know what they were doing. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't think he would be an easy get. Dominic Kubelik would get quite a bit of attention. He's not far removed from a really, really impressive rookie season. Um, so that would be tougher. I'm a big fan of the Red Wings acquiring former Kitchener Rangers though. So let's do it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he played a season with them. My brain is always on who played for the Spitfires. I never go to the Kitchener Rangers. I don't know that innately. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been to a Rangers game. I was there last night. Yeah, yeah, you were. <laughs> um, okay, we have a lot of questions or a lot of comments here. Actually, just congratulating on the Winged Wheel podcast tonight, so we appreciate that. I know we got the the podcast threads on Reddit are sometimes a little funky, and I need the help of the mods to get them up. So appreciate the mods over there helping, which means we missed some questions. So why don't we double back? Um, Evan, you got more condolences um, for Gary. And Elvish Blood says, 24 says, how many games do you guys think we'll win next month? So next month. I was looking at the schedule today. How many games are there? Okay. I'm going to read out and you guys tell me yes or no. Carolina. No. Tampa Bay. No. Florida. No. You just think they're going to go 0-3? Yes. Arizona. Yes. Minnesota. Minnesota. Yes. Revenge. Calgary. No. Edmonton. Yes. Vancouver. Yes. Seattle. Yes. Philly. Yes. Islanders. No. Tampa. No. Pittsburgh. No. Rangers. No. Six wins out of three, six, nine, twelve, fourteen. It's not bad. I was going to say 50%. Yeah. yeah that's that's kind of how the NHL works. Like looking at that schedule, if they walk away 500, that's a huge win. Yeah. Um, The English nerd says, a question is, Eisman seems to have hit four home runs in the first round over the last three years, but during his time in Tampa, he didn't do very well in the first round. What's he doing differently? Is he targeting different types of players? Is is the scouting team around him just better somehow? Are the players being developed differently? It would be interesting to hear your insights. So there's no way to know if this is what he's doing or not. He's taking the upside floor be damned concerns and risks be damned he's like he's taking the most potential talent he can kosa every goalie is always a huge risk but everybody's like if kosa hits he's a number one star goalie edmondson there was a lot of concerns about him in his draft year but if he hit he could be a, a star player in the nhl like these and this isn't just Revisionist history. These were the opinions going in. Lucas Raymond, he's small and not that fast, but his skill is off the charts. Huge upside. Cider, like, <laughs> do we even have to talk about that one at this point? He's, he swings for upside and it's probably a little unreasonable to think he's going to go four for four in a row every time. And not that there's any guarantees on Edvinson and Costa at this point. But yeah, if you're swinging for huge upside and even if you bat 750 in the first round, you're going to have a really good team sooner than later. What were the like weighted what were the average pick numbers for his time in Tampa? 
Oh, I they lower yeah. than what they've been in Detroit. It, so that helps. It varied. Yeah. Yeah, like Vasilevsky was like 19. I think he took Brett Connolly at six. Slater Cuckoo was like 10. Like, yeah, he, oh. he did not have a good track record oh. in Tampa. Oh. Slater. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was like all the picks were like 15, 23. No. There were some top. Drew, Drew in at three. Yeah. That did not work out. I don't need you got circuit chat for him, so it kind of did. Yeah. I think you nailed all of those draft positions. When did you say he got drafted? Who? Brett Connolly, sorry. Oh, man, he was a while ago. 2010? No, no, no. Like, what position? Six? Because you got Cuckoo and you got Vasilevsky and you got Brett Connolly. This you're guy's a, a freak. He's a f- <laughs> you're such a freak, man. How do you just? How do you? You need to get bullied more. Yeah, I don't even why, know that was possible. Why would I not research Steve Eiserman's history as a GM? I'm when sure we I looked that up too and forgot about it the Im- second that tab closed. immediately. If you went to Greater High School with Brad Crisco, Evan and I want to beat you up because you did not do enough. We need to bully you. Yeah, you because I need you to understand how that affected us. Yes, dickheads. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I also I think a simpler answer here is like you don't draft Connolly and Cuckoo at those positions and not learn something from it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, it's the Vasilevsky one worked out. Don't ask about how we got the pick. <laughs> don't ask. Uh, Kyle Karagas jumping back to Patreon says, "Pick a starting lineup for Team Canada: one goalie, two D men, three forwards. All players in history available in their prime. However, centers must play center, wingers must be side specific, and D men side specific." Man, all players in history, I can't remember like some superstars from like the 70s and 80s, but if they were centers or wing. Gretzky was a center, yes? Gretzky was a center. There's your center. So now because we've got center, that chops off McDavid, Crosby, and Lemieux. Messier. Messier was a center, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so he's not on our yeah, team. Yeah, saying chopped off. Jeez. Uh, McKinnon a winger? I think McKinnon's a winger. I don't think McKinnon makes it in. Greatest of all time? Yeah. Like the, the well, greatest. All the greatest of all time were centers. The greatest l- wingers of all time in Canadian history. Like I'm actually struggling way more than I should right now. Let's go defense. Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr, obvious. Yeah. There we go. Guy, Got to be Ray Bork. Yeah. And does that complete the two sides? Yeah. I'm playing one of them on their off wing. I don't give a shit. Gordy Howe was a right winger, so he slots in. That's Gordy, there we, we go. Need a left winger. Yeah. Best. Okay. I know who the behind Ovi. I know who the all-time leading goal scorer is for left wings in the NHL. It's Luke Robitaille. If I was going to say, is it Luke there? It might be Luke Robitaille. What was is Dale Howe or Chuck? Can, yeah, he's Canadian, right? Yeah, yeah. He'd be up there. It might be Luke. What does the internet say? Anderchuk's up there. Shane's up there. Oh, that's Johnny. a we did a real disservice to Dave Anderchuk. Well, I mean, Anderchuk I, doesn't sniff this team. Even if we go thirteen forwards, yeah, I think that's Luke. Yeah, he's the greatest Canadian left winger of all time. Yeah. I'm not. Dis- I'm not saying he's not. I'm just. I don't have any data in front of my eyes. Left wing's a weird position, huh? It is. It's really weird. Everybody shoots left. Yeah, but then you're on your offhand for the the wing, and it's an easier to. Uh, What's it's funny here. Brendan Shanahan's listed as a left winger, and he shot right. So, yep. 
I remember that was a big thing for me when I, I love Brendan Shannon as a player. I was a right defenseman and he played left wing. So I don't know why I love him so much. It's not like I could emulate his game. He was big and tough and I was a scrawny piece of shit, but who's your goalie? Cause we can't take the dominator. It's wah. It's wah. I think I agree, but not even a conversation for Berder. No, I'm, I'm in the camp. He's a of- terrible actor. I'm not in. <laughs> I think Waz Prime is better. I think Waz Prime is only out. We want his swagger and his craziness. Yeah, hundred percent. Wa at his peak was almost indistinguishable from Hashik at his peak. I do take Hashik still overall, but for Canadians, yeah, it's Patrick Wa for me. Yeah, I think I agree. And it's not. It's hard to say. Like, oh, you're going to discredit someone like Martin Brodeur, all his records. Yeah, I am. Yeah, looking at that Devils team in the 90s, I'll absolutely bank, bump him down a few pegs. It's wah. And that's coming from a Red Wings fan. Okay, why don't we wrap that up? Uh, we are going to, after this, record our Patreon-exclusive overtime. Thank you, all of you, for your support for uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Be sure to get your tickets soon. Um, they go fast and also check out the uh, blog post to find out more information. We'd like to thank all of our uh, listeners, the sponsor of this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69 crying Ryan Han has been in a Simajamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Matthew M. Rice, B. Dez, Boos, Lob Singer, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Derek N. Stam, uh, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin in the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Licking Windows for Fun, Matt McKay, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Your Friendly Neighborhood Window Peeper, Zach Spring, Eves Bartels, Alex Blackmore, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish it could finish like Ernie. Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad's Dad Moan, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, I'm so blazed, dude, I don't know what to put here, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, the not-so-secret Mark Stahl tattoo on Brad's right butt cheek, Trevor Pevivar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.